Graduation is a sweet occasion, but finding the perfect gift can be a bitter struggle. MMS.com has a solution. Personalized M&Ms. Just imagine the look on your grad's face when they receive a custom candy creation featuring their school's colors, name, and even their photo printed right on some M&Ms. It's a thoughtful way to celebrate their accomplishments and make the occasion even more special. Visit MMS.com to create your own personalized gifts and party favors for graduations, weddings, birthdays, and more. That's MMS.com. Use code WONDERY to receive 15% off your next order. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash Wondery and use code Wondery for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash Wondery. Code Wondery. Hey, thanks for listening to the Nerdist Podcast. I hope you're having a nice day, or night, or middle of the night, or mid-morning, or morning, or mid-afternoon, or late afternoon, or early evening. I'm covering every single uh, base of the 24-hour time period. Because mm. I don't know when people listen to this. I don't know. I really don't. I don't know. But whatever it is, uh, I command thee, have a lovely time of the day. <laughs> that was a... You were humoring me. That was a, that was a charity laugh. I used to listen to the podcast when I was working out. It was, I probably should have been listening to music, more motive, like more, I'm screwing up the whole podcast opening on it. But it's true, I would, seriously, I would listen, I would listen to it while I worked out. Yeah. This reminds me of, because this I... reminds me of your YouTube show, Cool Story Club. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I liked listening to your voice when I worked out, okay? Okay, alright, yeah, what? What? Mine. I just fucking plugged your YouTube show. Why am I a jerk face? It's not even like a real YouTube show. I literally just go on my camera for about thir- for a minute and a half. No, oh, do you go on your camera, Grandma? <laughs> Is that how you describe the it? The tables have turned. I'm too tired to fight you right now. <laughs> for once, I am victorious. <laughs> uh, am I cheating that Chloe Dextra hasn't fully know. slept in like two days? And I also don't know what you win. Because she went up to Portland to do some cosplay business? Well, that's fine. I shall take the victory. <laughs> I mean, because ultimately you're losing anyway because I'm about to fall asleep. <laughs> no, we're in a studio right now. <laughs> we're in a studio with a mattress. Exactly. It's a, a fucking... really comfortable studio. It's a studio. In my bedroom. That's right. Yeah, I make it a studio, because there's some sweet performance going on in here. Don't, uh, come on, would you just humor me, please? The kids are listening. I mean, you are, that was a joke. It was a a joke. Oh, I know, oh! Oh, I know, not until marriage. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You've got to keep your pact. That's true. You've got to keep your pact. Hey! I'd like to thank Stamps.com for this episode of the Nerdist Podcast. Shit, just stop it. Don't worry. I didn't even try. I didn't even try. You didn't try. Well, sometimes it's the best segues are the the not segues, Clodark. Stamps.com, you could do everything that you could possibly do at a post office. It's like, it'd be like, 
It's like having the post office in your home. At your computer, buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter or package using your own computer and printer. Stamps.com will send you a digital scale, which calculates the exact amount of postage you need for any class of mail. And then you just hand your mail to the mailman. You slap him a high five. And then he walks off. And the sun whistles above you. And then you go back to your day. So it's just like being at the post office, except there's not a line of angry people there. And then you can just be in your underwear. Maybe not when you meet the mailman. Uh, Stamps.com has a special offer for Nerdist listeners. No risk trial. $110 bonus offer. Includes digital scale and $55 of free postage. Do not wait! Go to Stamps.com. Click the microphone at the top of the homepage. Type in Nerdist. Stamps.com. Promo code Nerdist. This is a fun episode because I am on a roll with wrestlers. I'm loving... Re- I think I'm going to start watching wrestling now because I, I now like so many people that are involved in it. Uh, Mick Foley, a legend of wrestling, came on the podcast. We, uh, we also were set up via Twitter uh, on a podcast date and it it completely paid off. Uh, Mick happened to be passing through Los Angeles on his way to Australia he was here for like maybe four or five hours, and he came to our studio to do the podcast. And uh, was a, is a terrific guy. You can follow him on Twitter at Real Mick Foley. So uh, here we go, the Nerdist Podcast number three twenty five with Mick Foley. Now entering Nerdist.com. You have so many fans. I, I had to. I wanted the the, the tweet questions. Okay. I just I just started recording. Slide slide your slide the I, microphone up there. A couple things. We'll take the conversation any way you want. To. Okay, great. But uh, I just rewrote a my first children's book. I rewrote it on the plane yesterday for a new generation. <laughs> and by the way, I love that you actually you have like the, the you have like the marbled composition school notebook oh, yeah, there. Yeah, I just take whatever my kids don't have. <laughs> they don't have use rather. See what's there. Official, and then, and I'm also in a documentary about Santa Claus. You know, in, in addition to the wrestling stuff. That's so. And did they find him? The real Santa? <laughs> yeah. What Was he been missing? Well, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, you know, since December 25th. Well, it, it takes a lot. I have my sources, though. <laughs> he actually runs a catering business. So, <laughs> so, the, so that we, the, the way that we were able to get you on the podcast. First of all, it's I, it's lovely the way Twitter works. We had, uh, you know, CM Punk and then Chris Jericho on, and people were like, and the guy you also got to get on is Mick Foley. And then they started tweeting at you, and you tweeted at me, and I was like, this Mick Foley guy seems like an okay egg. And so we, we chatted a bit online, and you happened to be in Los Angeles for, what, 10 hours? I just realized we're on the air now. This is it. So I was talking about Santa running a catering business and telling you, hey, here's how I was talking about. It. Here's what I want to talk about while we're on the air. Oh, well, we'll talk <laughs> yeah. about Santa Claus. It's your show. Well, then we'll, gonna... well, we'll get to that. Uh, it is amazing how quickly that, 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 that stuff can work uh, on, on Twitter. I did it once with uh, Rochelle Carey from Headline News. Yeah. And this was at a time when I was working for a, a different company. And they weren't, and I'm not putting them down, but they didn't, you know, they're, uh, public relations wasn't nearly as effective as sure. Uh, you know, WWE is a much bigger company, and um, you know they got things done 
more effectively that way. Yeah. And here I was, like, there's Rochelle Carey, one of the anchors on Headline News, like, love to have Mick Foley on sometime. And I was like, you would? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I happen to know Mick Foley, who <laughs> I am. And that's the way it worked uh, with this thing. I mean, it was within an hour, right? And, yeah. Uh, and uh, you sense when... when uh, your followers are really excited about something. Like, oh, you have to make this happen. And I love the comments that are really like, my two universes have collided. Yeah, like, yeah. I don't know what to do. Well, because what happens is, is people are sick of hearing me talk about how I don't know anything about sports. And so when I had Punk on, I mean, I'm not, I grew up in Memphis. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I was there, like I told him, I was there for the beginning of like wrestling sort of as we, sort of as we know yeah, it. The I'll, weekly uh, Monday night shows. It's right? sort of, you know, like I said, told him it looked like public access television, <laughs> uh, but it was like the Jimmy Hart and Jerry yeah. Lawler. And I was in Memphis for the, you know, for the whole Andy Kaufman thing and all that. But I didn't really watch wrestling over the years. And then, so Punk came on, super nerdy, super great guy. Then Chris Jericho, fucking awesome. And then everyone's like, Mick Foley. And then you turn out to be a cool guy. It's like, oh my God, you know, these wrestlers are basically just like comics in these Hulk bodies. <laughs> they're like, they're like Hulk rabats, you know, like these amazing. Uh, well, a lot of the guys, there are some different subsections of wrestlers. Some of them get in there and, I, and I'm not picking a Kurt Angle, but Kurt Angle is an example of the ultra competitive guy. You yeah, know, like gets in there because he wants to be the best, yeah. no matter what. And and like I think everybody who does well in wrestling does it because they they do want to be the best. But we define being the best in different ways. You know, it's getting those re, you know the reactions. Like I was the reaction guy, and Jericho is a guy brand you know brand you know, music. Like he's a Renaissance man, yeah. quite a good dancer. Uh, and the other guy, I think you have to get on his edge sometimes. Okay. Edge would kind of complete that kind of cool nerd block that, uh, oh, hey, oh, we got a, you got a phone charger. Yeah. Nice. I think I, I got it. I phone? think so. Now, do you think, do you think the rock would be a good guest? Well, I think, you know, I think he'd be a dynamite guest because he's so, uh, you know, you'd have to talk outside the box. Yeah. He just won the title again. Come yeah, on. he just won the title. I mean, the charming the man. He's a great guest because he's, always, he's a great guest on everything. I don't know yeah. if he's tailored for this show the way that, uh, you know, Punk is probably perfect. Jericho, maybe yeah. Edge, pretty good too. Yeah. And then if you get The Rock, obviously that's a huge get. Yeah. I'm going to talk to him about Hawaii. <laughs> That's right, Jonas yeah. from Hawaii. Um, someone should just take a drink in the game of the podcast where we mention Hawaii. Someone takes a drink. <laughs> yeah, well, and then they I'm have from. to take a drink where I say that I wouldn't take a drink. Yes, and then it gets yes all meta. exactly. But uh, you're you you're here for like just a handful of hours on your way to Australia. True. And um, so you flew from New York. Right. Oh, what a fucking day of travel. So New York, L.A., and then you're going to Sydney, and then Perth. Then Perth. Yeah. Oh my so god. Disastrous. When I originally envisioned this, I thought this was going to be my. Uh, Disney vacation <laughs> week. Uh, and then uh, my daughter ended up going to college. I didn't even think about that. Uh, my kids ended up already missing enough days because they were sick. Mm -hmm. During the, uh, the Hurricane Sandy, uh, we, escaped the, uh, we, we escaped the hurricane by traveling out of state, and I was on the road. And they made it down to Florida. I was like, whatever you do, don't don't go to the Magic Kingdom. Like, you can go to Animal <laughs> Kingdom. Africa, just don't go to Magic Kingdom. Do you think they listen to me? No. Magic Kingdom. They could have gone to SeaWorld. They could have gone to Epcot they Center. Anything. That's uh, how much status I have. Harry Potter own. World. So, so that kind of took away. Like, like, nobody's like, hey, I was only, a, it's been eight weeks since I've been at Disney. You know, could you take me? <laughs> so I, I just reworked the, uh, then a little, that stomach bug hit me for a few days. And uh, now I, I really, that adding another six hours New York to LA would just make it just the day that never ended. Yes. <laughs> so I broke it up. 
Uh, Los Angeles is always a place I can find something to do, <laughs> like, uh, a podcast. like a podcast, like sure. a podcast. And I stop, uh, like I stop by Adele's of Hollywood. Yeah, nice. like in the Santa. <laughs> this is a casual. This is what you were casual Santa today. Yeah. He would wear in the workshop or somewhere yeah. else during the rest of the now. Day. Now you're really <laughs> presumptuous. He's wearing his own face all yeah. over the place. <laughs> now, when a large shaggy man is wearing a big Santa shirt in the airport, is a TSA like? What's that, that guy? Something's out of whack. What's going on with it? You know what? That's the way they look at me anyway. <laughs> uh, you know what? One of the hardest adjustments I had to make was that when you go through that, if, if you guys, you travel quite a Tons, bit. Tons, yeah. You guys go through there. Yep. And when they had the full motion body scanner, it's essentially they take a naked photo. Yeah, sure. And I'm not convinced somewhere down the line there's not going to be a best of the celebrity body scans. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. So for like six months, I was going, no, I won't do it. I was going with the pat down, yep. which is a really thorough pat down. <laughs> and they tell, have you done it? Yeah. They tell uh-huh. you what they're doing to you. Yep. They're like, I am going up your inner thigh with the back. Would you rather? <laughs> would you rather have us take a naked photo of you, or would you rather be molested? It's either one. <laughs> one of them. Like, it, but you're right. There's going to be like celebrity dick outlines. Here's Bradley Cooper's yeah. wiener. <laughs> and the, the weirdest thing is, I actually get it now. I've actually accepted. I'm going to do the three second thing and hope that technology doesn't backfire me. And when I put my hands up, if, for those who are not associated with the Diamond Dallas Page bank thing, I actually find myself flexing for those three seconds. Like, like that's going to make a difference in yeah. my, uh, my naked, my naked yeah. shot. Ugh. I, I don't, uh, I, I was traveling once and, and Joe Manganiello, Manganiello from uh, True Blood was in front of me. And as soon as he got into the scanner, I was just like, oh, all the, the TSA women were going fucking oh, bananas. Really? And I'm like, oh, my God, his wiener has just become their, the lock screen on their phones. Really? I bet. Yeah. yeah. I, I bet mine is not anybody's lock screen. I, you know what? I'm, I'm glad, yeah. though, that they've made the screen in another room now. Yeah. Now there's not that thing where you're getting your stuff together. And you can just look oh, at the yeah, people. Yeah. And is you that get... the deal? Because no, people have stopped laughing when I go through this. Yeah. The other <laughs> weird thing yeah. is that when you're online, you start trying to think of sexy things. You can have like a, a half an erection. <laughs> When you go through, yeah. so that you look a little Which is hard prevent. when you're a child. We all do it. Yeah. We all do it, right? And when you're in travel hey, mode, it's give not. Give it a little, give it a little, tug, give it a little you know? tug, a little yeah. thumb. Come on, release your childlike yeah. state. I didn't expect this line to be so long. <laughs> Turtle's coming out for this one. <laughs> Warm it up a little bit. Come on, guys, it's picture day. Let's get a little, let's, uh, let's take it out there a little oh, bit. man. Yeah, dating back to when, and I wrote about this. There was a guy named Dr. Ihacker. Uh, he gave all the sports physicals when I was growing up, and there's there's no telling how many teenage testicles this guy has had in his hands. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, and and it would be that deal where you y- you look down and and you know Mr. Happy's decided to like tuck in yeah. like, to protect himself, yeah. and you're like, yeah. not that I want to impress Doctor Iac, downright embarrassing. <laughs> Come on. Yeah, you don't you don't want to go too far in either direction. It's yeah. like I don't want to be too soft, but I don't want to be too hard either yeah. because it's a doctor that sends the wrong impression. There was a guy named Jay. Uh, I'll call him Jay Pinochle, even though that's not his real name. <laughs> okay. He still has to live a life. Uh, <laughs> he was heard giggling in Doctor Ihacker's office, and that was essentially the end of his. No. Yeah, that was the end of his. You know. <laughs> I'm, sure that's, that, I'm sure that's spread around before oh, he even yeah, walked out spread. of that room. Hey, yeah, Doctor yeah. Giggles. Yeah. They, they invented the internet specifically to, to pass around the story yeah. about him giggling. <laughs> <laughs> so you started wrestling in the, probably early 80s, right? What, like 82 yeah, or 3? Yeah, 85 was my official start in wrestling school. Uh, so I was wrestling in 83. I was wrestling Kevin James in the Ward Melville uh, High School uh, wrestling room. 
Oh yeah. yeah. Oh, that's right. You guys went to college. Yeah, I mean, to yeah, high school high together. School, and then he and he went to college. Uh, came in like a, a year later. Went to college with me and hung out with me until he got like real friends. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Then he abandoned me. But yeah, we had some pretty uh, some pretty good matches. Kevin, for anyone who saw, like here comes, here comes the boom, the boom, and they were surprised. It shouldn't have been. You know, he was a tough kid, big kid, and so yeah. he was a. Uh, you know, that was a monumental undertaking every day in the in the wrestling room. But that's different than like professional wrestling, which is a lot of s- stunt stuff. Well, stunt stuff. Oh, I've <laughs> stunt man before. Uh, Not a stunt man, uh, but is, like, is, you have to know how to fall. You have to know how to land. You have to know how to take someone down without fucking breaking their neck. I mean, it's kind well, of there's uh, a, you know you need a little cooperation to make the moves look good. And here's the funny thing is I actually started cooperating in the Ward Melville wrestling room with Kevin James because uh, we were heavyweights, which meant we didn't have to watch our weight uh, as long as we didn't get over two fifteen. And I eventually did weigh in. For the super heavyweight for the county tournament with a two and a half pound weight in my jock, <laughs> and we realized that these guys, you know, who were starving, practically starving themselves, sucking weight as they call it, you know, really looking miserable, were working as hard as they could. They were somehow managing to sweat, you know, they may have not had a drink of water in days. And Kevin and I were like, you know, this would be a lot easier if we were helping each other out. So we would be there like. <laughs> You're like calling moves out, and then Jim McGonagall, our coach, went, good work. Oh, no. Nice. It wasn't James then. Good work, Foley. Good work. <laughs> That's I, I feel like I saw a MTV did that True Life series, and one of them was about a, uh, I think it was called True Life, but it was basically just like, uh, you know, sections of teenagers doing yeah. stuff. I mean, true life, MTV True Life. And then one of them was a was like a high school wrestler, and it was so fucked up. This poor kid had such a, it was almost an eating, basically an eating disorder. Oh, and, yeah. And it was, you know, he had to weigh in, and he was like a pound too heavy, so he put on all these clothes and tried to sweat it out and pee it out, and he was going bananas and, like, just barely made well, it. Well, that's like, the way it was. And then they'd have, like, uh, the, the rest of the day, they could then eat whatever they wanted. That's the way my brother was. My brother would get out, and and he he started wrestling before I did. So he, he we I had a lot of experience wrestling with my brother. My brother was a younger uh, he was a he was a tall, thin guy, and tall you know lighter weight guys wrestle a different style. So when I became a wrestler with a heavyweight, I actually adapted to it pretty quickly, and I became like like the only heavyweight wrestler in the county who was a leg rider, which was a different way of. Of wrestling, but uh, I don't want to lose your audience too quick about time to wrestling. I'll just say that my brother was 115 when he wrestled. I was 215. Oh, and I was only a couple inches taller than him. Oh, so Jesus. Was, my brother used to get gasps from people. And now they've, they've changed the, the way they, they suck weight. Like there's only a certain amount of body weight you're allowed to lose from the time you start. But he'd get gasps, almost like he was just emerging from Auschwitz or something. Oh, like, almost, almost that bad. Not making light of anybody. Who's, who's, who really suffered there. Uh, but he and my brother could be pretty tough on me as far as my weight was concerned. Yeah. You know, crossed out the D in the Moby Dick book and replaced mm. it with an M. Right, right. Yeah. Moby yeah. Dick. And I just remember going and watching my brother because he was so tall and thin that he would wrestle guys of, like, greater stature but who were smaller than him. And the one time uh, he wrestled against Sachem High School and he took on a dwarf and lost... I just Whoa. looked up oh. in the sky and I went, thank you, God. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. I'll always have this on my brother. Like anytime oh. my weight came out, I'm like, you lost to a dwarf. <laughs> <laughs> no more Moby Mick from nah, here on out. No more Moby Mick for me. <laughs> so what was the transition for you from from that to uh, to perfect? Because at 85, by that point, 
wrestling's kind of getting yeah. to be like a national thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was I loved it. I, I mean, I, I I enjoyed doing the high school wrestling. If I hadn't have done it, no way I would have thought I could have uh, ever ventured into pro wrestling. It really helps to have that background. And I was just one of these like dreamers, you know, who thought ah, I'd love again to get those reactions to make people feel the way that uh, you know that I felt when wrestling was at its best. And a lot of your listeners will probably know the the story about Jimmy Superfly Snuka. You guys familiar with this? Me uh, hitchhiking yeah. from my college about 250 miles away, scalping a ticket, showing up by myself, which was not unusual for me to <laughs> show up by myself anywhere, which kind of made me like an outcast. That's the type of thing that people grab onto in high school. Like, I saw that guy by himself at the movies. <laughs> yeah, like yeah, that really reputation. would. It's like he ate yeah. by himself during lunch. He's a weirdo. Yeah, he's a weirdo. Yeah. yeah. If you do that when you're older and you have some money, then you're just kind of eccentric. So what are so yeah, when, yeah. <laughs> so when you're going, when you're going and you're watching by yourself, what is it what is it specifically that you're seeing or what is the experience for you? Uh, you know, it depends largely on the, the matchup has to have a build, has to have that story. And then you willingly, as as do most nerds in some element in their life, you got to suspend disbelief, you know, whether it's Star Trek or Star Wars or Santa Claus or wrestling, you know, you suspend that disbelief. And if the stuff is good enough and it looks legit and the storyline's got you hooked, then you'll do that. It doesn't And it doesn't hurt to throw some, you know, some real good physicality in there. So like when Snooker came off the top of the steel cage against Morocco, like you could look at it and go, okay, it's not really a 15-foot-high steel cage because it's only a foot and a half tall than Snooker, who is not 13 and a half feet tall. <laughs> but again, you hear it so often, and then you go and tell your friends, it was yeah. a 15-foot-high steel cage. You know, People have sworn that the cell that I was thrown off of in a 1998 match with The Undertaker was 30 feet tall. You know? and, uh, <laughs> the hell in the cell match yeah, on yeah, the press like, table. You know, it was a legit 16. Like That's six feet taller than a basketball hoop. So yeah. You're standing up there. And speaking of Jericho, I was glad he, he mentioned this in his book. He said he was thinking of doing something off the top of the cell, and he said, I swear to God, people looked like ants down there. Like, you can't believe how high it was until you're, unless you're actually up there. And I was reading, going, Thank you. That's exactly what everything looked like. Like, it was, like, it was just tiny. That was yeah. such a good match. Wow. Yeah. wow. Thank you. So it is. So there is. There is a little bit of PT Barnum in it of like, and this, this cages oh, are thirty five. You gotta do it. Yeah. And people just like because well, I, I went to an independent show where they actually the guy you know he ordered a fifteen foot high steel cage an independent show, and and first of all they could barely fit it in the building, <laughs> and then the guys they wanted them to try to come off they couldn't even stand up on top of there. And the other thing is they're making fifty dollars. They're like I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I'm not going to do it. So, yeah, you're better off going seven and a half. Yeah, I yeah. mean, we've all exaggerated our own sexual exploits, right? Uh, so why not just... Uh, My dick is 15 feet long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Exactly. You can barely That's fit it in the theater. My dick looks yeah. like ants. <laughs> you mean Ant the Comedian? <laughs> um, the, uh, uh, the sideburns. The, the sort of... Evol- I mean, it's almost like... I think it... Obviously, I'm sure for anyone who gets into wrestling now, I'm sure it's really exciting because if they can if they can hit it big pretty fast, everything's pretty much in place. But what seems like it might have been fun for you is that your evolution sort of followed this what was a relatively nascent organization at that point, right? 
WWE? Well, just, yeah, just like the way that wrestling had evolved. Yeah, like, I know I've written several New York Times bestsellers, but you got to run Nation by me. I mean, like, <laughs> I mean, like, it was like an, an early, like well, an early as, stage, like in its infancy. It was in its no, infancy. It had, been around, it had been around for quite a while. When I joined, when I had my second match in my career, uh, it was as a WWE extra in 1986, and they'd just gone national as far as, uh, bringing the show around to the arenas. That's what I'm talking yeah. about. Like, as opposed to just being like a local thing that right. you would go and see local shows or see like on public access or like local TV stations is like, it really was, it really had started to become a national phenomenon that like, oh, people actually watch wrestling and it's a big thing. And like, just as much as they watch football. And it became a point where you didn't have to pretend you were not a wrestling fan. Like, yeah. Uh, there were a lot of people, a lot of closeted wrestling fans, you know, at that time. <laughs> and growing up in Memphis, like you said, you would look at it, and how did you determine it looked like it was oh public, public access? Public access, yeah. But you would talk to somebody from Memphis, and they'd be like, "No, this is the best show, and this is the best." And then you compare it, and it was like, "Why don't they at least fix the camera? That's clearly, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. you know, it clearly needs some white balancing or something." <laughs> and they're like, "No, it works. If it, it works, why, you know, if it's not broke, why, why fix it?" Yeah. Um, but WWE really showed what a, you know, a really good production could look like, and uh, and people gravitated towards it. You know, you kind of sometimes. Uh, confuse uh you know quality with presentation and wwe did for a while you know they they snuck in some guys who were just horrendous so, uh, <laughs> from, uh, from a wrestler standpoint a young wrestler standpoint it was like what about me like i knew i was working with are you listening limited. brutus the barbie yeah, well, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking i'm brutus here come on what, what i'm saying cheers. there were i would look and i would see some gimmicks you know mantor uh, <laughs> being one. i actually going to I think was going to write a children's book with the island of, uh, you know, worthless gimmicks. Where, uh, oh all the characters didn't work out and all, like, banished to an island. Uh, <laughs> Everyone just has a problem. And, and, and I would be like, what about me? And uh, and it was one of those things that kind of built into, into a healthy anger, you know, so that yeah. it kind of drove me. And I, even when I did this pretty famous uh, series of interviews with Jim Ross in 1997, you know, I had a way to vent that anger in that in that interview, and it was yeah. pretty. It was pretty good stuff. So, what's the constant? What is the constant um, mindset of a professional wrestler in terms of trying to figure out what character you want to portray and kind of staying relevant and staying ahead of the curve and being able oh, to staying ahead of the curve is. I mean, it's so important because you got to see that curve coming before other people do, and there have been guys uh, guys who during the era especially of the catchphrase it was frustrating for me to see how easy it was for people to go out there and say the same thing every week and i would be i remember on, you ever heard me drop a single f-bomb right no i usually use it as an action verb holy <laughs> 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 yeah. bedroom yeah. But, uh, i remember coming in when paul bearer was my manager and like trying to do one of these kind of deep philosophical things and nobody cared and uh he was like, oh, don't worry. That's the way he really talked. <laughs> oh, don't worry. Don't worry. And I was like, no, fuck them. <laughs> <laughs> and it was really fru frustrating for me. And then over time, it was like, you know what? People are going to need a little more than this. And the guys who didn't see that curve coming, I mean, and then kept up with the catchphrases, they got washed away. It was kind of sad. It's really interesting. It almost yeah. seems like you have two wrestling matches. You have the one, this, the one that you're doing in the ring, and then the one with the public. Because yeah. if they don't, if they don't respond, then... 
you're out. Yeah, it's constantly tweaking, seeing what works, and uh, you know you have your creative team, and you, you know you have to fight your battles. You, you have to pick your choose your battles. You can't fight about everything that, that comes your way, even though some guys have and have been successful that way. But you have to, you know, stand up. Uh, give you an example: the nerd universe. They love, and this. I'm not picking. I gotta say, I'm not picking on Zack Ryder, but you guys probably have. Uh, you know, a million Zack Ryder fans out there, right? People love Zack Ryder. And Zack is, in Zack, this is not something I haven't told him personally. Zack will say, hey, I'm not getting pushed. How, I'm not getting pushed. I said, Zack, did you ever bring your case to Vince McMahon? He said, no. And I went, that's the guy you have to bring the case. <laughs> you have to come to him with your evidence. Say, this is why I should be pushed. I've moved this much merchandise. I've done this. This he wrote numbers. And you present it. And it's it's not it's not baseball where if you hit three thirty three, you can be the biggest jerk in the world and you're always gonna have a job. I mean, it's very subjective. And if one guy is saying, I, I don't think he has it, and he happens to be the guy who owns the company, then you're kinda out of luck unless you can go up there and fight that battle. And wow. like, that's the most important battle you'll ever fight is the one you have with your boss over where you are. Well, I'm sorry. I'm I'm really begun to gain an immense amount of appreciation for it because it's not just it's not just all those political battles and and the character work, but also the physicality of it and like every, you know, on top of all the other shit, it's like and you have to work out a lot and you really have to eat you know like you have to live a certain yeah. lifestyle i mean unless your character is like i'm like mine and you can wear a loose fitting <laughs> and, and say you look like Santa's workshop on his unless like yes yeah. if you're wearing a sarong then then of course but but you know but but you definitely your most revealing outfit was cactus jack but <laughs> even if even if your thing is like i'm a big fat guy you still have to be in good shape because you have to jump around and fly uh, around and yeah. fall and, and hit you know the, what? and if you are especially I'm I'm hoping that you're not just saying that I'm the big. You are not the big <laughs> fat guy. Because when I was really at my at my best, WWE, I was like two seventy five, two eighty. Yeah, and I was moving around pretty good, but I had to be able to keep up with a guy like Shawn Michaels, who at the time was like two oh five, and they were gonna go. Like it's not like they go, hey, just want to check with your car, their cardio system. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna lower my standards for you out there. It's like, hey, you bet, you know, you keep up or you you know you you lose out. Wow. Well, it is. It is. You you have to just like the same way that if you're improvising with really good improvisers, they're going to assume like if you're here, you're probably going to bring a certain level of game, and you're responsible for that. Yeah. And if you don't, then you're that's your problem. Yeah, you. Wa I was wondering. I can't remember where I was watching something that reminded me of. Uh, I think I was watching the Royal Rumble, and uh, I was thinking back to when I was an announcer. And whether or not I would have liked to have been comfortable in that position or been pushed to be as good as I can be. Yeah. And I was like, you know what? I think I would have been okay with a pat on the back. You know, like <laughs> I think. Uh, but some people, like there's been some people, almost combative at the announce table where you got to keep up or get left behind. And Michael Cole's a great announcer, but for a while when he was a heel, heel Michael Cole. Before, like, the real-life babyface yeah. turn of all real-life turns, which was Jerry Lawler having a real heart attack. Yes. Turn Michael Cole into a babyface in a way <laughs> that he probably can't. You can't be the guy in the coal mine because you saw him. Everyone's going to remember Michael Cole as the guy with the completely white face saying, this is Jerry Cole. Lawler's had a heart attack. Like, he's now a babyface. Yeah. But when he was a heel announcer, you know, he was... He was pretty rough on those commentators, and I'd sit there and be like, I don't know how Booker takes this, you know? <laughs> if I was Booker T, I'd be grabbing Michael <laughs> Cole by the, you know, 
by the gullet and going, hey, man, you know, back off. <laughs> it is. It's really, really competitive in ways that you wouldn't think. I love I, I'm, I'm interested in exploring the idea of how, you know, how, and, and you, you defined it for yourself, but how different wrestlers uh, measure success, because, you know, it it's basically it's sort of planned out. I would imagine, well, this person's going to have the title for a while and this well, person's going to think, you know, I mean, there's a long term plan and then plans change. For example, uh, I was on hand at one of the tent towns in uh, Massachusetts, which were fun towns. It was like the Cape Cod Melody Tent. Great. There was another Great one venue. in Rhode Island. Yeah. <laughs> fun venues. South Shore Music Circus. Yeah, okay. yeah. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there was one in Rhode Island, too. There was a lot of fun. Great atmosphere. And then when you got your check, you're like, oh, why do we go to these crap? Because <laughs> <laughs> there's not many people there. But a uh, uh, guy came up. To me, uh, head of merchandising, he was like, hey, we want to, he was thinking of having a T-shirt for you. And I could see on my bar graph or chart that they had T-shirt and like two other items marked off. Mark Henry had every item, like every item that was possible, they had him checked off. And Barry Windham, great wrestler, but under the character, the stalker that went nowhere, had almost every item marked off. Like they really wanted to merchandise the stalker. And then uh, Steve Austin comes walking up. He's like, hey, Miranda, how about a T-shirt for Stone Cold? And, uh, and Jimmy, Miranda, he got like, uh, um, Steve, don't take this the wrong way, but uh, the office just doesn't see a lot of merchandising potential. In <laughs> oh, and like a year later, everyone's wearing the Austin 316. So there's a plan, but the plans change sometimes day to day. Sure. Wow. But if you, I mean... It, because obviously it's really cool if you get to be the WWE champion, but it's, are you the, do you become the champion for, obviously, for reasons that aren't necessarily like, oh, we're he really bested this guy in combat. on some sacred ground here. Uh, I, I'd rather leave some of this up to the imagination. Okay. But sure. they have guys who can really carry the company. And then there were guys like me uh, who were transitional champions. Like, yeah, <laughs> he won the championship, but we don't see this guy. Like, he's not going to be the face of the company for very long. But you know what? As like a Buster concerned. Douglas. Like a Buster Douglas who can have that one amazing <laughs> yeah. night. And no matter what he did with the rest of his uh, career, you can't take away that incredible night. Right. You go back and watch that. It's amazing that. The announcers are literally going, well, you know, but, you know, Mike's a little slow, but he's going to turn this around. He should be taking care of Buster Douglas. Saying, These are the announcers. They're, yeah. supposed to be, they're supposed to be objective. <laughs> yeah, you guys yeah. want to go like, get Mike. a pizza, or do you want to watch the rest yeah. of this? <laughs> and then all of a sudden, it's like, boom, you know, they start taking it more seriously. And, and so Buster Douglas is a perfect example of a guy who never would, he would never again reach that, uh, that pinnacle. But he had that one amazing, amazing night. And wrestling, the, the biggest challenge is that we finish our WrestleMania, which is our Super Bowl, and unlike the NFL players, you know, or the, <laughs> and the MVP, and I think I yeah. use this line where you go, what are you going to do? I'm going to Disneyland. And you interview the guy in the main event at WrestleMania. What are you going to do? Well, I'm going to get in my car at 6 a.m. I'm going to drive 200 miles, and I'm going to have a live match tomorrow. Oh, man. <laughs> Monday Night Raw. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it is. It's like it's, this, uh, it's a lot of pressure to be at your best all the time. And... Uh, and the most faking that goes on is where you pretend to feel a lot better than you do. Like that's sure. the, the irony is that you think it's all about, oh, God, look, I'm not really hurt, but I'm pretending I'm hurt. When in reality, a lot of the times it's, 
I'm really hurting. <laughs> <laughs> these people in El Paso didn't pay their hard-earned money to see somebody who's really hurting. You know, yeah. right? They came, they came to see people at their best. So it's it's full of ironies, man. <laughs> but how do you? And so where you know where, where do you go brain-wise to shut that off and just be like, well, I got it's just that adrenaline. That's why I had the Christmas room. Yeah, uh, I did. I had the Holy Christmas room, and I, so everyone needs some something to ground them. Yeah. And for me, it was the Christmas room, and uh, literally thousands of women across the world. No. <laughs> <laughs> I, made that, I made that part up, but uh, yeah, I, I, I was kind of grounded. Uh, um, you know, I, I would go to amusement parks, um, even when I was shopping for the shirt. At Adele's, which is an amazing. You guys been there? Yeah, it's oh, on Hollywood. Amazing place. Yeah. And they asked me a question. I said, you know, there's worse things that a grown man could be doing than going to Adele's of Hollywood. <laughs> Hollywood you know? like, yeah, that's my thing. Adele's of Hollywood and the Nerdists. So. Are you are you are you wearing a dude love shirt underneath the? No, actually, it's just this it happens a to be shirt. a different tie dyed shirt. No, believe it or not, it is tie dyed, but it's a tie dyed snowman. Hey! <laughs> snowman shirt. Uh, Snowy Garcia. Could I get a plug-in for a yes. couple of... Yes, plug-in. Hey, Real Mick Foley. If you just go to Real Mick Foley, whether it's at Real Mick Foley for Twitter, realmickfoley.com, the website. It's got all my upcoming shows. You guys have an international audience, right? We do. So I've got shows uh, coming up in two days, starting in two days in Australia, big tour of the UK in uh, uh, April 24th through May 12th, and shows in, uh, in the U.S. in March and... Louisville and uh, Sacramento, San Francisco, Phoenix, Flagstaff. What can one expect at a McFoley show? Um, they can be expect. They'll honestly. I was gonna. I'm gonna say something um, uh, to to put myself down. But honestly, uh, that's what people are. People aren't expecting that much. They don't know what to expect. They. I think they expect a guy like trying to do punchlines and comedy. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like you know what. It, it's it's if you like the books, if the books made you, yeah. people will be like, really you, comedy like I don't <laughs> you read the book right? Yeah, yeah. Did it make you laugh it out did. loud? Yes, you'll enjoy the comedy. There show. you go. And it was really the guy I'm doing Australia the Australia tour with Brendan Burns. Who oh, was nice. Me, yeah. He he was like he would hear me describe my show and I'd be like, well, I I use wrestling as a jumping off point to work into other subjects. He said, mate, you do a wrestling show. I said, no, 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 I use it. I approach bigger subjects. Mate, it's a wrestling show. <laughs> and when I finally went to the Montreal Comic Con, and you're like, wow, there's like 200 great comedians under one roof. And if people want to go anywhere for comedy that doesn't involve wrestling, like there's a lot of alternatives, a lot of <laughs> options. It's like, you know what? I'm going to wear that hat. I'm going to be the wrestling <laughs> yeah. guy. And it's really made my shows a lot better. Yeah. Like, I may branch out. You know, I can talk about sure. Stacey Keebler and George Clooney <laughs> and, and things like that as long as they, I'm, I met Stacey in a wrestling context. So I can branch out and I can talk about, you know, I can talk about the fact that when I saw President George W. Bush <laughs> waving out of the window to me, he did do the bang, bang. <laughs> I can go into politics shit. and I can say like right there that changed my entire view of <laughs> him but of foreign policy like you have a United States president who knows my catchphrase like that's going to explain a lot of the decisions maybe that's just what he does I bang bang I shoot <laughs> everybody no uh, George Mr. Sacco told them they were weapons of mass destruction <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so this, they're, they're fun you know I, I've done a really bad job this year getting clips out so I, I thought, to honestly, WB would embrace it and see it as a natural extension of the wrestling, which is the way a lot of fans are like, okay, I completely get it. 
when they leave, but they're almost always taking a giant leap of faith in going there. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, you know, very few people leave and say, geez, I was expecting more. It, like, almost always overperforms. Well, that's good because right. because that'll ensure that you can go back again and keep doing it. And it should. It's still. It's really difficult to get the same people who will wait two hours online for your autograph to try something different because mm-hmm. at least they know what they're getting. You yeah. Know, like, and, and in an economy, you can understand. All right, I'm going to pay my twenty dollars. I'm going to wait two hours. At the end of those two hours, I'm going to get a photo with the guy. Well, people just love certainty, and so they yeah. love to. It's very. Risk taking. I mean, it's 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 hard enough to even get someone to take a risk on a clickable link that you have sent them, <laughs> let alone leaving their homes and paying money to sit look, through something. Look, I, I'm sure if you ask Adam Sandler about punch drunk love, it's yeah. going to bring up like some deep feelings. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure he considers it. And it was it was great work, but it's like you know what. I know what else you do, and I'll be there waiting in line when you do that. <laughs> well, uh, if you make your depo- you know, like I love Will Ferrell in dramatic roles, but that's not necessarily what people want to see Will Ferrell doing. Yeah. And uh, I, I have to convince people that this is what they want to see me doing. Yeah. And and generally, when they go and they take a chance, it, you know, that's the way they feel. But it's trying to get them there to take that chance, which is difficult. Have you? Has it been as? emotionally challenging as wrestling so far? Oh, you know what? That's one of the things I like about it is uh, it is like wrestling without the physical pain. Yeah. But it's that same sense. If something's not working, it's it feels like uh, the night, night you're in the ring and stuff isn't working. And when things are working... Now, in wrestling, you had the benefit when you got to be a big name that people were going to give you loud... They, they were going to get behind you no matter how bad yeah. stuff looked. And I was there in 99 when my body was kind of falling apart. People were really giving me the benefit of the doubt <laughs> some of these matches. But in comedy, you get like five, ten minutes, and then that's kind of if all. The, I would say five, five max. Yeah. yeah, if you're not making them laugh after five and you do like an hour show like I do, uh, it's either, uh, you know, it's it's going right to the Q and A right there. They're uh, even more disappointed because they're expecting if they know who you are, they're like, "This should have been better," uh, you know. Well, I that's no, no. I think in my case, they they don't know what to expect. They're not expecting that much. They're almost ready. It reminds me when I went to see a Twisted Sister in a club, and Dee Snider's a he's a good friend of mine. But I was like, "Geez," when I went to see him like ten years ago, I was like, "He's fifty, makeup <laughs> And then you go out there, and it's like, wow, you forget that these guys have done thousands of shows. Like, yeah. This isn't like a current star who gets signed and is literally doing their first live performance yeah. after a recording. Like, It's like, wow, this is the real deal. And people can see. They can sense. Uh, you know, they, they got their BS detectors on. You know, they can sense when you're just going through the motions or whether you're really enjoying themselves. And, and I don't do it so much that I don't enjoy it. I imagine if it was a full-time job, it would, you know, it would be a hassle. And the hardest thing about it is actually going out there and bothering people on Twitter and Facebook. But I went to the Edinburgh show, and you see that the there's 2,000 acts there over the course of three weeks, and the average audience for the average Edinburgh show is six. Yeah. And these people are out there, the comics, handing out their flyers for hours. Oh yeah, the Edinburgh festival is intense. A dozen people there, and here I'm going. Oh, I guess I have to send out a tweet that annoy people who aren't interested. Already, already spoiled. We're already spoiled. Ah, uh, so I do occasionally get someone who's like, ah, "I'm, I'm unfollowing you because all you do is plug your stuff," and I'm like, 
you're just unfollowing me. You're not breaking up with me. That's <laughs> <laughs> not a conversation. Yeah, thanks for your, thanks for your follow. That's the other yeah. thing too. People uh, yeah. need you to know. Yeah, well, yeah, I need you to know. Unfollow, unfollow yeah. all caps. Yeah. Um, what? Uh, so you, you through through the resident career, you portrayed like you you became a, a few different yeah, characters. Yeah. And so, what is the decision like? Is it sort of like, oh, I'm kind of tired of this one and I want to turn into this one? Or is it, how does so it work? In my case, you know, the, the answer is a little bit different because I was a pretty successful character as Cactus Jack. I didn't know at the time that Vince McMahon despised <laughs> He thought I looked seedy, like I wasn't a star. He didn't tell me those things. But when I was in his office the first time, and at first I was like, okay, we want to do what's best for Mike. Calling me a name that you know only my mom or my, <laughs> my mom when she was really angry, and it's like, man, he doesn't even really know my name. We went through some things, and he showed me a sketch of a, a guy in a mask, and he said, "That's going to be you." And you know, I really took a lot of pride in my you know facial expressions as a way of telling stories. I was pretty down about it, and then my wife helped convince me, and Jim Ross helped convince me this is a way of you know doing something different. Uh, who knows, maybe it could even turn into something better, and it did. It turned out to be the best thing that could have happened to me because then I had Mankind as a character. A year later, Mr. McMahon found out that I had always secretly yearned to be this dude love character. <laughs> saw the footage. You guys, have you seen the footage? They showed a little footage on the WWE Hall of Fame thing. I dug it out. People had seen the 1985 Loved One, but they'd never seen 1983's The Legend of Frank Foley, <laughs> where I actually go through a posing routine at about 220 pounds, and I didn't look that bad. Like, I didn't look that bad, but I would look at the correlation. I'd be like, okay, I was 220 pounds. I had no job. At 2.35, I was sleeping in my car, and I was eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. I got hired at 2.50. They're getting a push at 2.65. I went to W7. Like, hey, this is pretty clear to me where this path is supposed to take me. And then by the time you're 3.20, it's kind of like, all right, maybe I'm overdoing it here. The loved one, that was the Henry Winkler movie, right? Uh, no, not the loved one. The uh, what was the the Henry Winkler wrestling I movie? Know the one you're, yeah, we should look it up. Uh, where he played a gorgeous George he, type yes, character. Yeah, yes, yeah. It was like the world's great. It was like it was some sort of superlative, like the greatest something something. Matt, you're looking that up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, her, Henry Winkler. Henry Winkler wrestling. Little Henry Winkler trivia for Please. you. Please, uh, Kevin James. Henry Winkler trivia. The Henry Winkler uh, character. The Mr. one and only. The one and the only. One and only. So I was way off. The Henry Winkler character, Mr. Betcher, in Here Comes the Boom, uh -huh. is actually named for a real-life Mr. Betcher, who is a uh, who is a very good friend of mine, uh, and whose son is a very good friend of mine. Nice. Had one of the great quotes that I'd a a ever heard, uh, driving me to a college, uh, way down North Carolina, Virginia, you know, when it's time when you're a college senior and taking that trip. And he was talking about being in the Marine Corps. And this is a great quote. He goes... Believe me, Mickey. Believe me. Unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> and his son woke up and he's like, what? Dad, you know what you just said? Believe me. Believe me. Unbelievable. unbelievable. That's going to be the new chant. It's going to be a new chant. <laughs> yeah. Believe me. Believe me. Unbelievable. I, I, asked, I asked people on Twitter if they had questions for you uh, because you... you uh, you have quite a, uh, a rabid fan base, and so as soon as people saw, like you said, as soon as people saw they were coming on, it was like, so I said, oh, if you have questions for Mick, what are they? So I, I have some Twitter questions for Let's you. Let's hear it. Okay. This is from At Holy Toaster. Hey, Mick, saw you in Kansas, gave you a Whataburger gift card. Have you used it? I did. Fuck yeah! <laughs> I 
I did not know that uh, it was only when I was in Kansas that I got the call that I was going to Raw in Houston. And Whataburger, you know, is center based out of Texas. So I not only used it, it came out to like $9.87. Perfect. <laughs> but when I'm in Texas and I don't know when I'll be back, I hit it like three times uh, in that one and a half day period. Yeah. yeah oh, good. I that guy's going to be thrilled. Thank you very much. This is from at uh, Dom Risk on Twitter. Uh, will we ever see an all true biography of Vince McMahon? And are you the guy to write it? Ooh, oh, man. Wow. You know, at one point, I wanted to write a book centered around even one day at WrestleMania. I want to call it Maniac Inside the Mind of Vince McMahon. Wow. And uh, I pitched it to him, uh, and he said, you know, Mick, I think what I'd like to see is another book of yours. And I, I thought he was kidding me. And, and then a couple of days later, I got a call from the publisher saying, so I hear you're going to do another book for us. And that, that turned Fuck. out to be the Hardcore Diaries. But I thought it'd be really impossible. It'd be really, really difficult. And I'm not a good enough researcher to, to really do a real you know a true biography on uh, on Vince McMahon, but I think just having full access to him for like uh, even a few days and then following like three or four storylines, you know the guy who's having his last match, mm -hmm. the oh, guy right. who's having the biggest match of his career, and the guy who's getting like the big break, uh, you know that could be a really fascinating book. I was also asked if I wanted to participate in the history of the WWE uh, book. Which, oh, that's uh, cool. Which I might. Hey, as long as I'm talking, can I mention something? You mention whatever you want. This uh, is your platform. Said, this is something. Maybe this. I'm break is breaking news, and Please. I want some feedback because I'm going to read two different um, two different versions of the story. I'm rewriting Christmas Chaos. Okay. For the uh, for new generation, it's not the Attitude Era book. Uh, <laughs> we're taking out. You know, the naked elves can have a pair of shorts on. <laughs> like the. the Especially, you can get away with this photo with the naked elf running around, <laughs> but you can't get away with this photo. Oh, uh, yeah. Like no. He's full moon elf. Full moon. So at the point where Santa, uh, Saint Nick staggered up the stairs to talk with Mrs. Claus, but as he reached the mirror, he simply had to pause. Maybe it's my image, he thought as he wiped away his tears. I haven't changed the way I look in over 90 years. The story as written is outdated because it says... The, this beard will be the first to go, and then this old red suit. I'll buy myself some cool new shoes and lose these dull black boots. Then I'll buy some fancy chains like that wrestler named Too Hottie. Then poor Santa <laughs> took a look at his plump and dumpy body. <laughs> and then it says at that time his butt looked like Rikishi's dead. And Santa <laughs> did believe it may have been those million cookies he ate last Christmas Eve. Here's the two variations, okay? okay. All right, uh, and I don't have it all written down perfectly, but it said... Uh, this, I'll buy myself some cool new shoes. This is one, selection one, and lose these tall black, dull black boots. And then I'll buy some awesome chaps, chaps just like Shawn Michaels did. Then Santa realized he weighed three times. He weighed, what, three Shawn... Three <laughs> just like the Heartbreak Kid. Sorry. Awesome chaps just like the Heartbreak Kid. Then Santa realized he weighed three times. Wait, three three John Michael did. All right, I'm not reading it very well. The other one would be uh, I'll buy myself some cool new shoes and lose dull black boots, and then I'll buy an awesome robe like Nature Boy Ric Flair. Then Santa looked in the mirror and his hope turned to despair. <laughs> oh, that's really funny. His body looked like Brodus Clay's same butt, same hips, same thighs. 
a bill, half a billion cookies will do that to a guy. <laughs> oh, that's... Do we like the, uh, the the Shawn Michaels, which was read poorly, or do we like the idea? And you're going to have the thought bubble in Santa's head. Mm. Here he has the thought bubble, like, okay, he uh, looks like a, Sa- a Scotty too hot. Now Santa. I think, okay, I, I do have an opinion on this, and I think it just depends on what you want the tone to be. The former is more of a dig. The latter is a little more of an exist. It's a little more like of a human, ah, you know, like, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I think it depends on does your audience want to see you take a shot at a guy or really talk about the human condition? So you think he's taking a shot at him if he says three times what Shawn Michaels did? Well, and also he was, you know what? I was talking to the guy next to me. You guys are not the very first. The guy next to me on the plane. Was pretty pretty cool guy, and I was like, "Hey, uh, what do you think about this?" And he was like, "You know what? Uh, if you're looking for a G-rated book, I'm afraid that Shawn Michaels chaps on Santa." Send <laughs> <laughs> the wrong message. No, there's been a lot of changes in the in the world lately. <laughs> yeah. But I but I think I think um you know one the the Shawn Michaels one is 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 more comedy, and I think. The flair one is a little more like ah, oh, like a little more sadder in a weird like sort that. of way. I like so that. just whichever way you want to go. I think the bubble. I think Shawn Michael. <laughs> I think the Ric Flair Santa Santa as Nature Boy Ric Flair yeah. would look uh, funnier. It's visually, it's visually, there's a lot more yeah. you can do with it. I don't know if anyone needs to see Santa and Chaps. In, and, in the thought bubble, he should be saying "woo woo woo" instead yeah, of "ho ho yeah, ho." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is 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 Santa a WWE guy? Meaning, I mean, it, do you, Santa Claus? It's like he's a guy. He's got a character. Yeah, you know, yeah. there's he's it's it requires a tremendous amount of planning and physical. Well, there's a rumor out there that I was Santa Claus on TV. That I was the man who got run over by Alberto Del Rio's car. I can never <laughs> confirm. I'm not deny that I was Santa Claus. I'll, I'll bring up a picture though, so you guys can be the judge. But go ahead and talk. While yeah, here we go. Show. This is from Bryce Melendez on Twitter. Was there ever a dangerous bump that you flat out vetoed? You know what? Honestly, I, I vetoed a lot of stuff. Um, that's, that probably surprises people because I always put myself in a position where I was contr- in control of my own destiny. Yeah. Uh, even if that destiny looked to be painful, yeah. like I was in control. So if someone made a mistake, it was going to be me. I, uh, I, you know, I ixnayed like uh, suplexes that looked a little wild that I wasn't in control of. Uh, as you get older and you realize that guys, you know, need to get over and they need for their stuff to look good. Your your long term uh, chiropractic health may not be their first concern. So sure. I, I would tell people, look, I can't, you know, I can't do that. I'd be diplomatic about it, and then I would usually offer them something that looked better that I was in control of. So uh, I did, I did, uh, and I think it's important because uh, for younger wrestlers, they should never be in a position where they're doing something they don't feel comfortable with. You're better off not getting booked than being in a position where you're doing something you don't feel comfortable with. Because you're going to make a mistake. You're going to make a mistake. You could make it look bad. You could get hurt. I mean, I I, I visited a young man who was paralyzed in the hospital because he'd taken uh, some kind of very dangerous suplex on his first match ever. And the only reason he was even in the ring is because he'd sold 10 tickets to his friends. And then the referee literally shoved him out of the ring with his foot. I mean, kicked him out of the ring. When this is a match, it should have been stopped, should have had medical attention. So young guys should know out there that they have to look out for themselves because if they don't, you know, they're, they're, I'm lucky that there were people looking out for me, believe it or not. You know, like after Hell in a Cell, Vince McMahon came up to me and he said, you have no idea how much I appreciate what you just did. 
Oh, wow. But I never want to see anything like that again. <laughs> oh, wow. Instead of like, awesome, can we do yeah. it higher next yeah, time? Yeah, higher next time. Well, that's why That's why it's so, you know, like, those are like backyard wrestling videos where fucking kids jump on. Did we yeah. show a lot of those on Web Soup? Yeah, we like, oh, yeah. Kids Man, jumping I, off roofs. I know. I, I, I don't do it. It encourages them. You know? I do not. Yeah. Uh, well, on. about Hell in the Cell, someone, uh, Boots33 said, when you landed from your first ever fall from the top of Hell, uh, Hell in the Cell, did your tooth bust through your upper lip? You know what? Um, it was actually, there was a big hole in my lower lip, so it was probably the lower lip. And it was, uh, I do have two missing front teeth on the upper, my upper front teeth, but the, the ones that were lost were this half of one here and then another one that's gray that was put back in. So my, it's not an original, but you guys can laugh like it is. Like <laughs> some guys claim to have a Bluetooth. <laughs> I, actually, I actually have a Bluetooth. Uh, and that was the one that ended up in my, uh, in my nose. Oh my God! Jesus. Yeah, so it was pretty. It was pretty intense. Is it worth it? Like, is it? Because I, I, when you're young and you're jumping around and you're landing, you're like, ah, this is. I'm never gonna have to pay for any of this. And then as you start to get older, you're like, what did I do to my body? Well, I knew there was going to be a price. I didn't know it was going to be this high. Like, uh, as I was staggering down Adele's of Hollywood's staircase, it's like, yeah, maybe I should have rethought some of those. Uh, you know, some of those elbows. Good Santa. Yeah. Pretty good Santa, right? That's yeah, pretty spot so, on. Unless you're the teenage girl, then that is a much better makeup <laughs> yeah. job. I will tell you, 15-year-old me. That's my daughter. She's beautiful. And the reason I love the photo is there is no sign of, as when you're a dad, you, 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 like, you almost go in knowing that your kids are going to resent you when they get to be teenagers. No resentment. They like a happy child, like, and that's my greatest accomplishment. Oh, oh congratulations! Thank you, I appreciate that. Um, is uh, so in retrospect, is it is it worth it? Was it was it worth it? You know, if, to what if the sort of physical stuff? You know, if it stays limited to the, uh, <laughs> it's limited to the structure. You know, like the. Uh, uh, orthopedic structure. Yeah. Yes. You know, if if I start having uh, bad issues with my brain, then you know, you know, so maybe. Uh, but even if it's not worth it, then what will be worth it is hopefully people learning. Yeah. From uh, from my mistakes, and I think people have. You know, like you you can't you can't WWE. I, I don't think we've seen a, a chair shot to the head in um, in a, in a year. Oh, yeah. oh someone yeah, said yeah, someone yeah. had a chair question, which was someone hit you. Like eleven times yeah. with a chair, and they were supposed to only hit you a couple times. What was that? Um, that was uh, uh, the moment getting the better of us. That was me and the Rock, and I was in the WWE warehouse. Speaking of photos, my wife sent me a couple dirty photos for my trip, so I don't want you guys. <laughs> Are you dressed like Santa in those? Uh, no. <laughs> look, there's the chair that the Rock actually used on me. Oh shit! And you can see the the dried. <laughs> You see that thing? That chair is mangled yeah, with your it was really body. That was bad, you know? That was bad. They and keep so that stuff? They do that. That's it's like awesome. a Hall of Fame without a Hall of Fame. It's a warehouse. And I was just, I was there because they were shooting the cover for my DVD. Yeah. And I was excited because instead of just putting an action shot or a promo shot, they're doing it like uh, Masterpiece Theater, like di Dinner for Five. Oh, yes, right. yeah, yeah. And so they have me as the uh, yeah, as all my characters. <laughs> I was, you know, Cactus, Dude, Love, Mankind, Mick Foley, and I was like, but there's five. And they're like, yeah, what are we going to do? I was like, I brought the Santa outfit. <laughs> so, uh, so I was in the warehouse and looking around. It was, you know, they got, they have the Hell in a Cell there. Oh, they that's got amazing. Every, they got everything. I, I mean, want to go. Have, they have stuff that I sent them 
years ago. I think because I was going to have it be part of the WWE auction and they decided to keep it. But it was like the outfits my wife made for me when I was in WCW in 91. Wow. Some cool stuff going back to world class. The chair that's all mangled. Wow. So, uh, Just someday. one room full of ripped yellow oh. shirts from Hogan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all the leftover Bret Michaels sunglasses yeah. he would give us. I'm surprised they haven't turned that into some kind of a money-making venture. I would, people would pay to see I that. Think they, I think what they need to do is find the right venue. And I think it's like, you know, if you put it, on its own, maybe it's maybe people aren't going to go out of their way just right. to visit WWE Hall of Fame. Uh, I mean, there are times in the year when you know Cooperstown is you know Baseball yeah. Hall of Fame is pretty is uh, pretty barren. But I think <laughs> if you put it in an attraction. Like uh, put it in Vegas or something. They should. Why don't they tour it? Why don't they tour it? Palace, home of the worst WrestleMania. (laughs) (laughs) That was was a little bad, right? Terrible. Yeah. Was that Undertaker, Giant Gonzalez? Yes. Yes. Giant Gonzalez, one of those guys that you're like, really? He's just big. Why don't they tour it? (laughs) Like they could tour it with. You know, like just they did, set up. They did that. They well, did. They, the, they did have a little tiny. They have a tour. tiny yeah. tour, but yeah. they have so much. I mean, the stuff's so vast that they could. They could have their own building. They should put it in the Hilton, where the uh, Star Trek experience no longer exists. What? <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's all gone. <laughs> the worst day of my yeah, life. Yeah, can you, you believe guys, it? We haven't talked any Star Wars. That okay? What do you want to talk <laughs> about? No, I got to tell you, man. Uh, when I was younger, I, you had to pick. You had to pick between Rocky and Star Wars. I went Rocky, uh, so I never was enamored the way I went. I saw the first three, and I've met several of the guys over the years, you know, who were in the uh, Star Wars. You know, Kenny Baker and I used to talk. Oh, and, that's great! You know, uh, you should have had Kenny Baker beat your brother in a wrestling yes! match. Yes, yeah. <laughs> dressed as an Ewok. But no, I mean, I don't want to lose my nerd credential <laughs> credibility, but I was never caught caught up with it like a lot of people, like like a lot of people were. Yeah, yeah. Star Trek yeah, or Star respect. Wars? Which one? All due respect. Favorite Star Wars? Um, you know what? Wasn't it the Return of the Jedi? That's your favorite one, favorite. the puppet show. And I and I saw I saw a bunch of these Star show. Treks, which yep. were very good. Yes. Yeah. And even the retelling was very good. So I'll wander in and see it. Yeah. You know, I'll wander in. And if I think that uh, uh, Captain Kirk is going to make love to a a purple woman, for example, or yep. a green yep. woman, sure. then I'll tune in. To watch, <laughs> watch that. What, what do you like to watch? Like, is there any? Wait, what do you? Are there any shows you're watching? What kind of? What? What yeah. other? What's? What's your person? What kind of personal stuff are you into? I have to tell you, I became a, a rain online volunteer, like a sexual assault volunteer, uh-huh. help people, and I it kind of took up most of my viewing time. And I, I don't do it anymore. I wish I could say I did, but I got out of the habit of watching all my favorite shows, which were like Dexter. Yeah, Californication, uh, Nurse Jackie was another Really one. just I everything like. on Showtime. Yeah, New Girl. <laughs> I, li- I like some uh, whole, uh, Larry David. You know, I love yeah, some of those sure. shows. But uh, I'm not real up. And when I do catch an occasional show, like, uh, like I- I've never seen Big Bang Theory. Not once. Never seen uh, it either. Uh, I've seen, like, two Glees. I- <laughs> Before this, <laughs> uh, last year's The Voice, I'd never watched a single episode of, like, a contest reality TV and uh, the only reality TV shows I've watched are the ones I've appeared on yeah. or where I have friends on. So I'll watch... Uh, ce- Celebrity Apprentice. <laughs> Celebrity Apprentice, or I'll watch... Cele- <laughs> <laughs> the one. Celebrity Drug Rehab. Oh, Celebrity yeah? Rehab. yeah. <laughs> hey, I got a friend of mine on there. <laughs> oh, no. Hope it does well. Uh, well, t- well, well what, tell us a little about your work with Rain. Yeah, I, I was a volunteer. Uh, I, I, I linked on there because I was a huge Tori Amos fan, and I thought that they, you know, sexual violence was uh, something that was just, you know, 
handled by vic- you know survivors and women. And then when I was on there, I was like, hey, you know, like this is exactly where a guy could be helping out. You know, like I had hoped, I still hope at some time we'll do like some kind of PSA uh, with all the unlikely allies, like the pro wrestler, the bull rider, the car rider, the football player. You, yeah. see, you have six or seven guys with the right message, and it could be pretty powerful. Uh, I was asked by a group in Chicago to speak out against Rampage Jackson. I guess he did a, a video, like a spoof video on how to rape a woman. Oh, oh Jesus like, Christ. Uh, you know, the, I was asked about the subject of rape humor uh, by TMZ, and I think my my answer is too serious because it never it never aired. And this was right after somebody from WWE, uh, Isaiah Washington, was that his name? Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. He was let go for, for saying that his tag team was going to be like Kobe in a Colorado hotel room, unstoppable. <laughs> and it, but for comics who think that it's free game, that it's their right, it's like, yeah, it's your right if you think entertaining people involves bringing up the worst experience that someone's ever had in their life and having them relive it at your show. Sure. That's not what... I may not be the best comic in the world, but no one's going to have the worst time of their life at my shows. And so I was asked about what I thought about, you know, humor revolving on rape. I said, theoretically, it's possible. And, And there are jokes that show great empathy for the, you know, for the survivors or the victims. And so you can you can find humor in it in the done the right way. You, springtime for Hitler is one of who doesn't laugh. Why? And it's yeah. like, Hitler humor would have been considered taboo, but there's a way of there's a way of making almost anything humorous. But I said it's kind of like hitting the hitting the you know uh, the uh, not the help me with my base nail on the, the slider. Head. <laughs> down in a way like yeah you can hit it but more often than you're gonna look bad so often going for it most of the time you will foul it off your ankle. well i think yeah. and you're just you're just better off leaving that one you know the, like. the comment threads on our on the website about because obviously we're comics and we have comedians on and yeah. some and some comedians do take on stuff as a challenge to yeah. sort of see if they can make difficult things funny and People always debate about it, and they go, well, it's comedy. You shouldn't be upset. Other people go, well, yeah, but that's really fucked up. And if you went through something like that, then why would you? And then, and someone sort of condensed it into this point of like, look, it really all depends on who the who the butt of the joke is. Yeah. And if, if it's someone who is, you know, because comedy is supposed to sort of, or the, the, their point was, you know, comedy is all about tearing down the or maybe even Mel Brooks said this sort of like tearing down the powerful like whatever is in power and sort of yeah. you know and so if you go after someone who's in that position they are not in a position of power so why would you kick someone when they're already yeah. down yeah. it was sort of the was sort of the point like you know so i think i think maybe that has that has a and lot you to you know just you learn statistically from being a volunteer that you go into any group of people and somebody in there is is a victim of sexual violence or somebody know obviously somebody knows somebody whether they know it or not because it's talked about so seldomly so you know my hope by getting involved is I could be part of a larger conversation where you could go around and you'd be like listen there are things like muscular dystrophy and cancer like that we can't stop you know like a kid with muscular dystrophy has a death sentence like there is no cure every day a kid lives with muscular dystrophy is a day closer to the day they die unfortunately like you accept that, but then you take something like bullying or sexual violence. In fairness, is, every day we live is also a day closer than the day we <laughs> yeah. die. That's true. 
<laughs> not me, man. Not me. All right, but, but not at 16. Sure. You know, you're, you, you know, I have a, a friend who lost three children Jeez. before they were before they were 17. Jeez. And uh, so you take these things that you can't change, and then you compare them to ones that are completely preventable, and you say, why? You know, you know this. Even for guys who have a good time and come on and, and have their outlets and have you know a good life, a lot of pain. There's a lot of pain involved in day to day living, you know. So why why you know why exacerbate that when we have the chance to eliminate? Well, I also eliminate. think that uh, you know because my my stance in comedy for a long time is is always like well, and it's sort of shifting a little bit. I think because I'm I'm empathetic to people who get bummed out about things. Yeah, and so. I guess the way that I sort of feel about it now is like, look, I respect that a comic can do pretty much whatever they want. There will be consequences if they broach certain topics and and there are certain things that I won't. You know, like in some situations, especially with this subject, what I'd like to be able to do is, is instead of firing off, and I shouldn't have named the guy, because I really did. I, I wanted to go and maybe make a present my case and say, do you guys know how much pain this causes? Like, are you aware? Because, you know, I did a speech one time for like 300 military members for rain. And, uh, and, and I took that standpoint that if you knew what type of pain was, you know, you were, you were, um, creating, you wouldn't do it. Like, I don't think, I would ask, I would ask survivors on the hotline, like, do you think they, do the person does it, they know, do you think they know what they did? And a lot of times it's no. Do you think they know the amount of pain that you've been? No. And if you went to somebody and said, this is the worst thing you possibly do to somebody, like this thing you thought was just, uh, you know, something for a night and then you move on from and then some of these guys become like serial Abusers, you know, mm -hmm. where they they specifically look for women who can't make a, a a decision because they're too far too heavily under the influence. But if you say to mo if you spelled it out for most people, I have to believe that most people would not decide to create that type of pain. And then afterwards, um, when we were having a little something to eat, the lady from Rain goes, "You know, I really liked your speech, but I disagree with you." And I said, "Really? What, what about?" She goes. I think they do know how much pain they're causing, and that's why they do it. And I was like, like, you know, like, I felt like I'd been kicked in the stomach. And I have to believe that's different. There are people, I just saw the biggest downer movie of all time. Did you see, uh, anyone see, uh, we have to talk about Kevin, or we need to talk oh, about Kevin? Oh, we need to talk about Kevin, yeah. Holy crap. No. Oh, oh my yeah, God. Yeah, it's brutal. Uh, Tilda Swinton. Right. Yeah, Tilda Swinton and uh, um, John C. Riley in a yeah. very un-John C. Riley yes. role as a dad. As a good dad, but he's a dad of like the the the, the kid from hell. Yeah, and and there's a kid who obviously just enjoyed creating misery. But, the brutal uh, movie. Yeah, those people few and far between. We better lift this show up. A little. <laughs> <laughs> but but before you know before, but I will. I do say that I think it's I think it's good. And I think it's important, and it's interesting what you said about you know is getting guys, and I I, I feel like this is ultimately what you were saying is getting sort of icons from kind of, you know, dude-heavy professions yeah, yeah. that a lot of other dudes look up to. Yeah. Because I think probably what happens sometimes is, you know, dudes look up to you or, like, guys in the UFC or, you know, or, like you said, rodeo guys. And they're like, oh, they're big, tough guys. They probably like to fuck people up and do all sorts of fucked up shit. And, like, they, they, I think they almost think they're emulating you, but they're not, but, but they have it wrong. Yeah. And, and so, they see somebody making light of it, on, on a video or um, or an interview, then it 
it, it creates that feeling that you, you said it compounds that feeling. But I think having more like having more dudes stand up yeah. and, and be like, hey, dudes. don't be a fucking dickhead. Dudes of the world. <laughs> don't be a dickhead. <laughs> uh, I think uh, here's one more. Yeah, we better take a tweet. Yeah, take a question. Take one more. But this was really, you know, Thank I think you. I think it's important because I think people like seeing this side of you and they like hearing it. It's interesting and it's something that you care about and that makes it important. Uh, to them, like that's that. So I don't think it's a downer. I don't think it's weird. We talk about a lot of serious stuff Thank on the you. podcast. So I, I think it, I think yeah, it's good. And good. if it helps people, and if it, where, where, I, where, where would they go? Rain.org. Yeah, r a i n n dot org, and that's whether they they are someone who needed help, know someone who needed help, or they want to volunteer, donate. R a i n n dot org. It's uh, free. It's uh, anonymous and very easy to use. Okay. That's great. Um, and so uh, I guess one of the last tweets that I think we have time for here comes from Dom Risk. Uh, who was a better wrestler to work with, Bret Hart or Shawn Michaels? And was Shawn really a dick or portrayed badly? <laughs> <laughs> Man, I hate, you know what? I People hate to, just don't hold back. I hate to pick, to choose sides because they were both so, so, so good. They, both of them were great. <laughs> they were both huge dicks. <laughs> <laughs> As a matter of fact, uh, I'm working on my, uh, my, you know, thinking about my, Hall of Fame speech, and I'm thinking of centering it around Madison Square Garden and trying to try to, instead of trying to cover everything. I'm trying to do. Don't ignore the Worcester Centrum. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to do the Tombstone version of Wyatt Earp instead of the Kevin Costner one. <laughs> yes, yes. That's it. You, you give people, you know, you center it around a focal point. And uh, there were only two house show matches that I wish I had on, on videotape, like matches that were so good I wish I had them that are, you know, just gone, except in people's minds. And one of them was with Bret Hart in either Manchester or Birmingham, England, and the other was with Shawn Michaels at Madison Square Garden. Uh, and I always got along really good with Shawn. I mean, I loved wrestling, wrestling him, and he was the perfect opponent because he was small enough to where I could do, like, big guy stuff. Even going back to 96 and mind games, like there's no one else I could have done the back suplex, turn into a cross body <laughs> off the top rope through the table with because I wouldn't have felt comfortable doing it with anyone. Uh, I, I don't think I could have controlled and ensured the safety of anyone else. I, I, I really got along good with him, but I think he'd be the first to admit that he was not portrayed <laughs> inaccurately uh, back then and if there was ever a case of somebody redeeming himself and having uh, like the greatest second act ever in pro wrestling yeah. it, was, uh, it, was, it was Sean Wow. Even though you guys chose to vote down Shawn Michaels' appearance in the reworking of my... Well, oh, I mean, no. if he's going to, you know, if it's yeah, somebody, it's right. going to be Ric Flair. You can bring right? him back when you write your Vince McMahon book, which should be called Mick, M-I-C-K, Man, M-A-N. Here's my question oh, for you. Why or McManiac. Why do they never decide to just score the plastic ribbon that runs around those folding tables? Because that looked like the most painful part of going through a table. Oh well, now they they you they, know, they do have they the, do that, that that custom built uh, on the announcers tables with the slot mm. for the uh, okay. Now see, and that's the thing. And yeah. kids that are doing backyard wrestling do not have custom tables Correct. with the slot. Yeah, <laughs> they just have tables. Yeah, regular yeah. table. Um, but like those folding tables, you know, with the metal legs that come out. Yeah, yeah. The the ones that you would go through normally. I wonder. They I have wonder. A rubber band, like a, or a plastic band. Or you know what? Like we catch your you, neck. You, you, there are there. There's a history of a few injuries. Um, through that. Um, but can I close here on the dumbest thing I've ever heard? Yes. Okay. Prior to two weeks ago in Kansas City, I thought this was the dumbest thing I'd ever heard from a wrestling fan. The guy sees me get out of my car to Jiffy Lube, and he goes, oh, man, 
moving kind of slow, huh? And I said, yeah. And he goes, I guess that wrestling really takes its toll. I said, yeah, it does. And he looks me right in the eye. He goes, you ever get hurt doing that? <laughs> what? <laughs> uh, this is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. Did we not just talk about oh, yeah. the toll? Did we just cover that? And then the guy in Kansas City comes up to me and goes, and I, I, I make this little joke out of uh, being like Bill Murray in Groundhog's Day mm. for the last 15 years, getting the same question sure. every single day. And so I goes, I know you don't like to talk about hell in a cell. He goes, but I couldn't help but notice that when The Undertaker threw you off that cell, you landed on a table. <laughs> and I said, yeah, and he goes, and it broke your fall. And I said, you know what? It was a magic table. <laughs> and he goes, you didn't get hurt? I said, not at all. He said, that's what I thought. And he walked by, and I just made mental note. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Oh, jeez. <laughs> well, this was uh, really nice to have you on. I, Because I, initially I thought, I'm not going to be in New York until I think I'm performing in, in April in New York. And so I, I thought that's going to be months. And then... Come to find out, you were on your way uh, to yeah, Australia. It worked out nice. I had those 10 hours in L.A., and we made it happen. You're going down nice. to uh, Under Earth Summer, which is basically the oh, underside of the man. earth is yeah. having there. Oh, wow. There's summer. Uh, oh, you know what? This is nice. I wanted to say this is a this is a nice, fuzzy way to uh, end the podcast. This guy, RJ409, says, Chris, can you please have Mr. Foley say hi to my brother Aaron? He's a special needs guy and the biggest fan of mankind. Nope. <laughs> no can do. To quote Darryl Hall, I can't go for that. No, no can. Aaron, how are you doing, buddy? Nice to meet you. Uh, and thank you very much for being a fan. You just broke oh, Jonah. That's so fucking funny. I love that. that Thanks, man. We nope. appreciate all you guys. And honestly, the... I just love those. This is my world's colliding when they see like you know, Mick Foley Nerdist. Like that's it's awesome. So glad we were able to make that happen. Yeah. So yeah. So follow at Mick at Real Mick Foley. Uh, uh, go go see Mick live and uh, any of the English speaking countries that we mentioned: Australia, uh, England. Go to his website, realmcfoley.com, or go to my website, realmcfoley.tv. Or if you're in L.A. <laughs> yeah. and mix in L.A., go to Adele's. <laughs> yeah. Adele's. Stalk me at the airport. Yeah. Uh, Look yeah. for the new book, the new uh, version the new of book. Christmas Chaos. He's, he's a big shaggy guy in a Santa shirt. Which one? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, there's really just the one guy. Yeah. I have to pitch this uh, to WWE. I have to pitch it to the marketing team as to why they should Read have it. a reworking. And I'm thinking, like, maybe as, like, a bonus, you know, make it a paperback. I, like, 26 of the illustrations can stay. You oh, just, like, yeah. I'll tell you coloring, why. Coloring I know books. why. I'll tell you what your pitch is. Uh, pitch it for I pitch it for like a tablet. There Say, you, go. you know what? I wanna I wanna make it into a ten app, like a tablet app. Uh, but since we're doing that, maybe I'll update some of the references. There you go. Boom. All right. I think it'd be easy. Yeah, yeah. I spent six hours rewriting it. Very happy. <laughs> Took out the scene where Rudolph's being beaten up by all seven deer. Uh, <laughs> Even though you could argue that he deserves it because yeah. he's very selfish. Like, a fast showboat, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah he just is a bragger in uh, Santa. Well, can I? Can I? Can I? I'll read this one line to you guys. And yeah. Then I'll, then I'll then I'll go. Okay. Sure. This is a uh, Santa. He's saying. Um, Santa's firing back at Rudolph. He says, there was a time I needed you and your nose to get through storms. But since Ben Franklin flew his kite and Thomas Edison was born, your big red nose is useless. I've got other ways to see. Radar, sonar, GPS, and flashlight batteries. <laughs> I've had it with your selfish ways. If you're bragging, I've grown tired. And I won't take it anymore. For as of now, as of now, 
as of now, you're fine. No I just, I, so I just, I was, if, you know, if you're walking to the airport and you drop your notebook and someone picks it up, they're going to see your shirt and see what you're writing. And like, this guy really loves Christmas. He just loves it. That's he awesome. loves it. It must be the Christmas billionaire that writes everything Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Enjoy your burrito, everyone. Thank you. Mick Foley. Now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. This episode of the Nerdist Podcast is brought to you by Stamps.com. Go to Stamps.com, click on the radio microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in Nerdist for a $110 bonus offer, including a digital scale and $55 of free postage. That's Stamps.com. Enter the promo code NERDIST. Once upon a beat, remember those stories and fables that would capture your imagination and you couldn't wait to see how they would unfold? And now, when you read them as an adult, you think some of these old tales could use a fresh spin. We have a perfect podcast to bring you the stories you remember, remix, and reimagine for the kids in your life today. Join me, DJ Fuse, and my trusty turntable, Baby Scratch, as we spin up new tales in the New Kids and Family Podcast, Once Upon a Beat. Wondry and Tinkercast are bringing you a jam-packed, music-filled weekly party where hip-hop and fables meet. It's Once Upon a Beat. Follow Once Upon a Beat on the Wondry app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Once Upon a Beat early and ad-free right now by joining Wondry Plus in the Wondry app or Wondry Kids Plus in Apple Podcasts. Once Upon a Beat.